we are finishing up a series that we've been calling 30 for 30. Would you say that with me? 30 for 30. And for you guys that haven't been a part of it with us, what we've been doing is uh, we took the last couple days of January and the month of March, and we challenged ourselves to read the Word of God 30 days straight and then post what we got from the Word to our social media. So 30 for 30. I don't know about you, but I started off all gung-ho and just knew that I was going to kill it. And I'm now at 30 for about 20. I've missed a few days posting. I've read every day, but I hadn't posted real well, especially when it hit midnight and I realized, oh, it's already midnight. It's gone. Oh, well. And, uh, and so, so that's okay if, uh, if, if you have failed miserably like me, encourage yourself. I'm just kidding. No, it was, it's been a really good. And so what we've been doing uh, for the last four weeks is just teaching about the Word of God, the power of the Word of God. And so if we could, let's review for a moment so that o- others who haven't been with us the last few weeks can get on page with us. We started with the first week that the Word of God, the Holy Scriptures, Number one, the big thing that it'll do is it'll cleanse us. You, you don't know what sin is until you get the Word of God. It's showing you what right is and what wrong is. And then the Word of God, what it also does in, in reference to cleansing you, is it actually will cleanse your mind. I don't know about you, but I was called stupid, short, ugly, and never amount to anything as a child. And so and when I became a Christian, I believed all those things still. And the Word of God had to renew my mind and cleanse my mind. And when I read Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, it says, Before the foundations of the earth, He picked me. He chose me. My mom got pregnant out of wedlock with me. When I read that, I, all of a sudden I had an understanding. I wasn't an accident. It wouldn't matter if my mom would have been raped. It wouldn't matter how I got here. He picked me. He chose me. And he had a purpose and a plan for me. When I read that, it began cleansing my mind. Are you there? Say yes. The other thing that we learned about the cleansing power of the word is that it reveals his love. There's no way for you to know really how much God loves you until you start knowing his word. And you can see what he has to say about you. You guys knowing that, if you're married, if you've been in a dating relationship, they can, that once you start interacting with them and they start telling you how much they love you, they start showing you how much they love you, all of a sudden that truth becomes alive inside of you. And by reading the Word of God, you can start understanding how much He really loves you. And all the lies that you're not good enough, and all the lies that you got to be better, all those things just kind of melt as you actually understand His love for you. The second week, we talked about the power of the Word to sustain you, to sustain you through the things of life. And we talked about the three areas that the Word will sustain you. Number one, in the right direction. Keep you on the right path. I don't know about you, but early on in my Christian walk, I struggled to stay on the right path. Thank God, not only for the Word of God saying me, hey, that's wrong. Hey, don't don't live like that. But also good godly friends who helped show me, this is what the Word says, get back on this path. The Word of God literally guiding your path or sustaining you in the right direction. The second thing that we talked about in that week number two about the Word sustaining power was the power of the Word of God to sustain you in the waiting rooms of life. The waiting rooms, all of us find ourselves at some point in our Christian walk, in our life, in the waiting rooms. You say, what are you talking about? That moment, that place where you're like, God, I thought you said you were going to bless me. I ain't blessed. I thought you said I was going to be married. I'm 55. I ain't married. I thought, you, you understand what I'm saying? And it's in those waiting rooms where you're waiting for King Jesus to move on the thing that he promised you, it's in those that you need the word of God to sustain you so you don't get up and say, peace, I'm out, I forget this. It's in those waiting rooms that you need the word of God to sustain you. And then we also talked about the waiting rooms of life, excuse me, the sustaining power of God in the trials of life. The horrible things that many of us go through. And the Bible talks about not if the bad things happen, but when they happen. And we showed Shay's testimony. She's actually here today. I was so proud to see her. And, uh, and she uh, shared her, her, her tragic story with us and how she 
held on to that scripture as she sat there in ICU right on the bubble of life and death and overcoming and, 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 uh, and, and physically getting strong as the word of God. She just kept applying it and it sustained her in the trial. Then last week, last week we talked about the power of the, war, the word of God to war against our enemy. And I reminded you that the scripture says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Come on, listen, sir, your wife is not your problem. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Your co-workers, your boss is not your problem. The Bible says clearly that principalities and power, wicked, demonic forces are who we're actually supposed to be warring against. And we see that Jesus played this out in front of us right there in the book of Matthew as he went and was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness and Satan himself began to tempt him and he overcame that with the word of God and give us a great example how we can do the same. And then we also talked about in that whole thing that in the word of God and using it against the enemy that we can apply the word of God and as we do, we can do things like Satan, you will not pass. We can take the word of God as God's authority and mark it and say, you will not take my kids. My my son will not be a crackhead. My daughter will not be that person over there. She will be a woman of God. And you can put the word of God as an authority barrier around you, your family, your things, and God says he will honor that because it's his word spoken over his stuff, which is yours and his combined, if you will. And then we talked about how the power of God would awaken the power gifts in your life, words of knowledge, words of wisdom. As you begin to read the word of God, all of a sudden you'll have a word of knowledge for someone. It just starts happening. It happens to me all the time in my prayer time and in my Bible reading time. I'll get a download from heaven as I'm reading the word of God exactly of what I need to go tell someone. And I'll tell it to them. They go, oh, OMG. I'll text it to them. They're like, OMG, how did you know that? I was like, man, I was in prayer and I was reading the word. And all of a sudden, this word, the Lord said, this one is for this person. And I, and I would send it to him. It's always amazing. Now, today, as we make our transition to our last and final teaching in our 30 for 30 series, I want to open up with a little story. Uh, I didn't get with my wife beforehand, so this hasn't been completely vetted. So it may, be, um, it may not be Christian as it needs to be. And I don't agree with all the doctrine, but it is funny. After the great judgment, God says to the heavenly crowd, I want the men to make two lines. One line for the men that were dominated by their wives on earth, and the other line for the men that, were domina- that dominated their wives. Also, I want all the women to go with St. Peter. And the line of the men that were dominated by, by the line of the men that were dominated by their wives was like a hundred miles long. And the line that was dom- the line where the men dominated their wives, had authority over their wives, was just one little guy standing there. And God got mad and he said, Men, look at this. Look at yourselves. I'm so ashamed of you. You've been whipped down by your wives. You should be a great man and stand up and be proud and be a great leader for your wife. But instead, look at all of you been whipped down. He says, now, he turned to the one guy by himself. He says, son, tell these men how you are the only one in this line. How did you come to be the only one in this line? The man replied, I don't know. My wife told me to stand here. Come on, son. Hey! Oh! Watch yourself right there. With that being said, let us turn to James chapter 1. And verse 22. James chapter 1 and verse 22. I, I don't agree with all the doctrine in that. It just was a cute story. I just want to lay that out there. James chapter 1 verse 22. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Father, I ask you that over the next few minutes that you would help me articulate your desire for your sons and daughters. Lord, that you would teach us to walk in obedience to your word. 
that you have the best for us. Lord God, I, I recognize my humanity in this. And I recognize that my rebellion many times and my, and my inability to walk uprightly in obedience to you and your word. Lord, I pray that, Lord God, that you would empower us, you would engage us, that when we leave this place today, we know exactly what the next step is as we grow closer to you. In Jesus' name, and everybody shout it, amen. In James chapter 1, let's read that whole passage, not just verse 22, but all the way to verse 25 and kind of put it in perspective. It says again, verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Say this with me, but do what it says. One more time, but do what it says. Verse 23, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Verse 25. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Look at that one more time. He will be blessed in what he does. Will you read it with me? He will be blessed in what he does. So it's interesting that, that the word of God is illustrated by a mirror here. And so I brought this mirror on stage, not because I think I'm good looking, but because I want to illustrate what the Word of God saying. The other part is true as well, but, I just, but that's not why I brought it out here. And so the Word of God is literally saying, hey, when you look into the Word of God and you go away from it and you don't actually apply what you learn, you don't actually do what it says. It's like a man who looks in the mirror, or a woman, and who looks in the mirror and looks at that and, 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 and then forgets as they go off what they saw. Listen, I think it's so cool that the illustration is a mirror, that the Word of God is like a mirror. Because what the mirror does is it shows you what you look like. Here's the problem. With most of us, we compare ourselves with what other people look like in their spiritual walk. We say, oh, thank God. At least I don't beat my wife like the guy next door does. I just cuss her a little bit. And that, but when you look into the Word of God, you see where you measure up in reference to God, not in reference to other people, in reference to His expectation of mine in your life, not uh, everyone else's expectation of what life and what rightness is and what, I, uh, what is not right. And so what he says is when you look into the mirror, you can't help see what you are in reference to me. Because my word reveals to you not what everybody else thinks is right, but what I say is right. Reveals to you what you really are, not what you think you are, not what you're hoping to be, but what you really are. So when I read the word of God, it's like looking in the mirror. Come on, friends, you know what I'm talking about. When you started this year, you looked in that mirror and said, things are going to change. They're going to change. You started January with, oh, uh uh-uh, no, I will not. I, I've got summer coming, and I got a fit, and that, and that, and that spandex. Sorry, just an re- '80s reference. I got a fit in those skinny jeans, and I'm gonna have to lose something. And you start looking and say, "Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness!" Oh my goodness. See, what the mirror does is reveal what your real self is. And that's why you're always looking in the mirror, checking things like that. Have you ever had a friend let you have a booger in your nose and never told you, and you went through a whole meeting? How frustrating is that? Like, dude, are you serious? It's amazing. Or ladies, have you ever had none of, your, none of your friends say you got you got lipstick all over those front teeth and you're just talking to everybody and, talk, and the friend doesn't even tell you. What a mirror does is help you see that. And that's why you'll pull out your compact mirrors. I'll see some of you for the service and, you, and you'll run to the restroom and you'll check it all and look at you and all the guys are in there. You know, yep, I still got some ass. 
All the single guys, they're trying to get married in church, and we'd rather than that than at the bar. Come on, somebody. And so, and so what a mirror does is reveal to you what you truly are. That's what the Word of God does, and that's what it's comparing it to. It's saying, look, when you look into the Word of God, it reveals to you who you really are in reference to my expectation. And he says, and so to look at that and go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, like we did at the first of the year. I need to lose some stuff. I don't know about you, but I decided I was going to lose some weight. I was going to look sexy. I was going to get it in play. And so what I did was I changed my diet at the first of the year. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And I started eating stuff, and it had no salt in it, had no sugar in it, and it was, it was terrible is what it was. It's horrible. And I would come back and I would look in the mirror and say, oh, my God, it's working a little bit. Oh, but that ain't enough. I need it faster, faster, faster. And I'm staying up late watching all the infomercials, buying everything, like, you know, you know, Zimmerfast or whatever, all this goofy. I didn't buy any, but I wanted to. And all this stuff, and, I'm, and every day I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to lose weight. And every day I'm taking this nourishment, and I'm eating healthy food instead of good food and I'm just eating it and I'm eating it and stuff and there's and there it's working a little bit but it just wasn't fast enough you know what I'm saying it just wasn't enough and then I kind of came to the end of January my birthday was at the end of January we broke the fast and I just decided you know what what I look like there is good enough. Bring on the cookies. And every night before I go to bed there's just a lot of sexy up in here because you know why? Because I'm telling you right now it's painful. It's painful. Get that nourishment to make me healthy. Come on, you there? Say yes. And that's what the Bible's talking about, that you look at it and say, yes, I need to change this, and you walk away and you don't do it. He says, how foolish is that? How broken is that? And that's what the Word of God is for, so that you and I can see what we need to see and make the changes. Isn't that good? Say yes. And so we see that uh, as, as you look into this mirror, what's happening is Jesus is saying, I want you to see what you look like, and I want you to change. And he's asking for obedience. In fact, as we see in Scripture, there are many places where God wants to woo us like, like we woo our children. How many of you got kids in the room? You know what I'm talking about? You got kids? Okay. So there's these moments for those, uh, those of us who are parents where we say, listen to me. If you will clean your room, we will go to Six Flags tomorrow. And again, oh, oh, oh. and the reason why we, if you do this, then you'll get this. The reason we do this is because we love our kids. We already have Six, pass, uh, six Flag passes. They've already been bought. I already have it in plan to do that. But I know that if they stay being a slob, they can never be married. So let's start the process now because I want them to be viable down the road. And so we use this verbiage, if, then. Would you say it with me? If, then. And we find God the Father does this in Scripture as well. And I want to point out some of these pieces to you and kind of go straight, if you will, with me right now to Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. In Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, we see God's kind of if and then principle in place. Now, I need to qualify the if and then principle, uh, uh, but let's read this first. It says in verse 1, my son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, verse 3, and say it with me, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, verse 4, and if... You look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure. Verse 5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord 
and find the knowledge of God. And for sake of time, I won't give you the rest of them, but the rest of the verses say, and then you'll stay away from the wayward, adulterous woman. And then you'll walk in prosperity and things like that. It lines out this whole thing all the way for another 20-something verses or uh, you know, 18 or so verses. It's magnificent. What God is saying is, listen to me. I love you so much. I am willing, I want to woo you into an obedient relationship because I recognize that I have given you free will. Here's the problem with free will. Can you imagine this? God gave us free will and said, I love you so much, I want you to get to choose whether or not you want to serve me, whether or not you want to love me. I've given you the ability to say, I don't want God. I don't want anything to do with God. I don't even believe he's there. He so loves us that he gave us that ability to choose. And then what he does is he woos us. Say, listen, if you will come to me, I will be your God. If you will, if you will bow your heart, I will take care of you. If you will allow me to be your father, then I'll treat you like a son. And no weapon formed against you will prosper. And all those that rise up against you shall fall. He woos us because he loves us. And you see this in scripture. This, if you do this, then I'll be able to do this. And we do the same thing with our children. Because at the end of the day, you really can't beat submission into your child. No matter how much you try. And there's an understanding in parenting that you kind of got to woo them to help them understand this is good for you. See the benefit of obedience. And when it comes down to the word of God, he's constantly trying to woo us to line ourselves up with what's in the word of God. Because if we do that, the benefits are so magnificent. So he's constantly laying those out. We see in Proverbs, he says, listen, son, if you accept my words and store up my commandments within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying to your, listen, if you will grab a hold of my word and you apply it to your life, and then he goes on, he says, and if you will apply it, that word apply in Hebrew, is, it's a picture word, and it literally means to bend. If you will bend your will, if you will bend your will to my desires, I'm telling you, you will know the knowledge of the kingdom. You will have blessings and favor and so forth. And this whole bend our will is where the real difficulty is at. And the reason that is is because most times I find Christians try to take the word of God and bend it to fit their lifestyles. Where God is saying, listen, no, no, no. If you will apply, if you will bend your lifestyle to fit my word, then you will find the favor and the blessings. And I, I find people all the time, they're frustrated that they're not blessed, they're frustrated this ain't working, and most of the time I have to tell them, hey friend, can I tell you something? You've not built, bent your will to his will. What you've tried to do is dominate him with your desires. And you're trying to make the word fit into your lifestyle instead of saying, my life is your life. I will apply your word to my life. I will bend to your word and come into right what I see in the word of God I will come to live for that instead of what I think I look like as I walk away and what I really want what I desire for myself bending our will and he says that here in Proverbs and then we see this other place in Solomon Solomon uh, uh, is the is the is the man who God used to build his his temple David, his father, was a great man. As we know, he's a man after God's heart. And we pick up in this passage in 1 Kings chapter 6 where God makes a promise to Solomon. Solomon is going to build God's temple. The people are all excited about it. David was going to, but God said, you're not allowed to because you've killed too many people. And in verse 12, it says, as for the temple, this temple you are building, if you follow my decrees, carry out my regulations, and keep all my commands and obey them, I will fulfill through you, the promise I gave to David, your father. And I will live among the Israelites and will not abandon my people Israel. What God's saying is, listen, bro, if you will obey the commands I've set out, man, I'm going to come and live in y'all's midst. I'm going to be there. 
and I dare anybody to attack my house because I'm God. You won't have to worry about nobody destroying you. You won't have to worry about anyone stealing from you. You won't have to worry about anybody trying to capture and enslave you. Because if you'll obey my commands, I will come and live in your midst and be your God. And I will destroy anyone who tries to attack you. We see this if then. He's wooing Solomon. Say, listen, listen, I'm wooing you to the benefits of the then. But you got to line up with the if. If you'll line up with the if, then you'll reap the benefits of the then. And I see so many people who go to church, they'll hear the word, they'll see it, they'll see what needs to change, and they'll walk off as though there's nothing to be done. And it's in this that James is warning us how foolish it is for us to look into a mirror and walk away and forget what we look like. And, and, and he compares it to knowing the word of God and not applying it and doing what it says. Look at this other passage. This is one of my favorite passages about if we will do something, God will do something. Here in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 14 through 15. It's on the screens. 2 Chronicles 7, verses 14 through 15 he says if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and I will heal their land you know how we're going to get America healed when we humble ourselves and pray and repent as a nation for our sins he says I then if you will do this America then I will do this I will hear from heaven I will respond I will forgive you and I will heal the land the land literally will start growing again the land will start being prosperous again and all the community of believers will be blessed again the nation will be blessed if then if, then. Now, I'm a little apprehensive of even teaching this principle because it can be misappropriated. And the way that it can be misappropriated is it can be misappropriated from the thought process, well, if I do good, then God has to do good for me. And that's, that's a misappropriation of his character and his nature. See, let me explain something to you. God has done good for you, and you and I get to receive it by grace. So you don't have to work for your salvation. You don't have to be good and somehow that's going to get you into heaven. You don't have to outdo the guy down the street and somehow that's going to get you into heaven. So this principle of if and then is once we are believers and we are sons and daughters of the Most High, he then says, listen, I've got so much for you, but if you come in obedience with me, then you can receive all these other things that I have for you. And friend, what I see sometimes in dead religion is that they teach us if we do good, then God will do good. Friend, let me tell you something. None of us are good. We're all sinners saved by grace. He did good when we didn't do good. Come on, are you with me? Say yes. We, he, we've been rebellious, and he still loved us and reached out to us, and he embraced us as sons and daughters. And when we responded in our if, and when we responded to his love, then as a result, it opened up heaven to us. But it's not by works, lest any man should boast, but by grace. I hope you can tell the difference in that understanding. The two pieces uh, here that fight against each other about God's nature if you manipulate them a little bit. And so I see very clearly in Scripture that as sons and daughters of the Lord, as we walk in obedience, now the Lord understands that we struggle to walk in obedience. In fact, Jesus put one of these if and thens into his Sermon on the Mount, which is the most famous message ever spoken. And here in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 5, 14, excuse me, Matthew six fourteen, he says, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. The then is, you know, is expected to be in there. But if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will then also forgive you. And what an interesting concept. Listen, listen, when you forgive, 
Look at the, when you walk in obedience to what I've asked you to do, look what's going to happen over here for you. And I think this is where the conflict has come in when it comes to Christianity and the Word of God. The Word of God is wonderful. It's magnificent. Man, listen, you can break the devil's back with the Word of God. You can defeat all the demonic forces. Friend, let me tell you something. It can cleanse your mind. Let me tell you something. That, that Word of God, it can sustain you in hard, terrible times. But friend, knowing that Word and not being obedient to that Word is only going to destroy your life. If, if you obey me, you are my disciples. Jesus said it clearly. He said, how do you know who's a real Christian? Those who obey my, my teachings. If you obey my teachings, then you are my disciples. Now, I don't know about you, but obedience is difficult for me. I'm a type A personality. I'm an only child. I, I, I have a real struggle with dumb rules and regulations. I just, I'm that guy. I mean, Jamie's always fussing at me. I mean, if we're downtown Dallas or something, and we're, at, we're pulling out of a garage or something like that, and it's a one-way street right there, but I know right there, I can get right there to that corner by going the wrong way. Nobody's coming. I'll start pulling out. She's like, you can't do it. I'm like, be quiet, woman. She's like, it's a one-way. It's a one-way for everybody else, not for me. <laughs> Come on, anybody like that in the room? Come on, be honest. There you go. So obedience is not an easiest thing. I mean, I, I'm an only child. I'm spoiled, rotten, you know. I did what I want to do. I'm a single mom. I half-raised myself. And so, so, I, so when, it, when I became a Christian and I, and, I, and I found out in the Scriptures that I had to obey him, that was tough for me. I don't know about you, it was really tough, especially, you know, with some of the things that, that you know, that, that, <laughs> that he asked, like, oh, I don't know, love your neighbor as much as you love yourself? Surely he doesn't mean that because he doesn't know my neighbor. Thank God my neighbors now are magnificent, but he my last neighbor's like, you don't mean love them because they are Satan incarnate. I'm telling you, God, you don't want Satan love. Now, I know that's not scripturally right. Or how about that other passage where he says, and love your enemies. And pray for those who abuse you. How about that one right there? For those of us that have been misappropriated. Those of us that have been mishandled. Those of us that have been slighted. You know what he tells us to do? Pray for them. Love them. Like, are you kidding me? God, how can I? That's not, that doesn't even make sense to me. Exactly. And as I look into the word of God, I realize that doesn't make sense to me. And I need to change. Because I see myself in light of the word, not in light of, oh, I don't know what the media says is right. Oh, I don't know what the university told you was right or wrong. Or the way you should handle it, the way your dad always handled things, and that's just how you grew up. When I look into the word of God, I realize, oh man, he wants me to love my enemies. Okay, that's going to be a tough one. That's going to be, and he wants me to pray for those who despitefully used me and abused me. I'll never forget after having been done as dirty as anything has ever transpired in my life by, by some Christian leaders. I'll never forget, I'm two years away from the situation, and I'm, they're still the brunt of every sermon illustration. I mean, they did me dirty. And, they, and I, you know, my, all my sermons, listen, let me just tell y'all, they will hurt you, they will offend you, and I'm just telling you, just stand with the Lord, and he will never leave you or forsake you. But people in the church will, I mean, that was my whole, like, that was my vibe. Because why? Because I was still I was still in a place where I hadn't forgiven. I'll never forget when the Lord spoke to me and I read that passage again. This is that piece right there is taken out of, again out of the uh, Sermon on the Mount. And He says, and, "And forgive those who've sinned against you, and and love them even if you if you want me to forgive you." And I'll never forget sitting there in prayer, going, "Lord, I can't forgive them. What they did was wrong, or I have forgiven them really, Lord." And He told me, "You can't. You're, you haven't forgiven them until you obey this other passage where I say, pray for them.'" I'm like, "Oh, oh, I'll pray for them." 
And my prayer started something like this because I'd been reading the Old Testament. Lord, I pray hemorrhoids on everyone who is... Well, you know that's what happened when they stole the Ark of the Covenant, right? The presence of the Lord. The Philistines got hemorrhoids. That's why they sent it back. It's the way, anyway. And so I started praying that, and God was like, I don't think so. And so it's took, it took me a year of praying for them every day. Lord, I pray for them. I pray blessings over them. I pray that everyone would leave them and run. I mean, I pray blessings over them, that their ministry would prosper. And, and it, it, I'm telling you, it wasn't beautiful at first. It was nasty and mucky. And by the end of it, though, I'd watched myself enough in the Word of God to realize, wow, I'm skinnying up a little bit. This is good stuff. And by the end of it, I'm telling you now, God healed that, fixed that in me. I, we're still not best friends, but man, let me tell you something. When their name comes up, I can bless them. Oh, they're amazing. They're awesome. And like, really? No, I really mean it. I really do. I didn't last year, but this year I really mean it, you know? And it's why? Because the Word of God. And, and it's difficult. How about the one that says, and uh, uh, the greatest amongst you is the servant of all? How about that one? How about being obedient to that one? That's not how you and I grew up. First one to the top wins, right? And I'm stepping on all of you to get there. You are my minions so that I can dominate the world. What are we going to do today, brain? What we do every day. Try and take over the world. I mean, that was my philosophy in life. And so, and so to, when I started reading this, and this is only about 10 years ago, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm supposed to be the servant of all while greatness is servanthood. No. No, sir. No, no. There are servants and there are leaders. And I am the leader. And the Lord started working on me as I kept looking in the mirror. I don't look like a servant. I don't act like a servant. I don't look like, I got to act like, and I started applying that word until it finally shaped me into his image. Peter T. T. Forseth said it like this. The first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. Every one of us The goal is not to find how free we can be, but to figure out who's going to be your master. Back in the 80s, there was this Christian music artist named Phil Driscoll. Most of you won't know who he is, especially the millennials. Oh, a few of you that aren't millennials in the room. Phil Driscoll had been, is this like the greatest, you know, uh, uh, trumpet player of all times. And he he sang too, but he had this real raspy voice. And uh, and he he wrote this song, you're going to serve somebody. You don't serve somebody. And he had this long, well, he's bald, dome on top, but he grew all of this in the back all the way down here. And it, I think it was blonde. Isn't that right, Jamie? I think it was blonde locks. And he would play the, you going to serve somebody. And, and that thing marked me. I don't know if it's because the image is so creepy. And like I can never forget it. Like it haunts me in the night. Or if the song in and of itself is such a truth, you're going to serve somebody. Either you're going to serve that alcohol and it's going to tell you what to do and what not to do. Are you going to serve that desire to be the most wealthiest person on your block? That greed within you or that, that selfish ambition or that whatever it is. You're going to serve somebody. You're going to serve something. And, and I love what, what, this, what Peter T. said. He said the first duty of every soul is to find not about freedom, but to figure out who's your master. Friend, I've already settled that Jesus Christ is my master, my Lord and Savior. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And if he says go left... I say, yes, sir, and I don't always do it right, and I'm always repenting of it, but uh, friend, let me tell you something, I know who my master is, and this is the problem with our society, is they don't know who their master is, in fact, 
they do, they're the master of their own ship, of their own life. And as a result of that, that's why we continue to spiral into difficulty. He's asking for obedience so that he can bring blessings and favor. It's amazing how the Lord works in these things. Roger Starback, who is arguably one of the greatest Dallas Cowboy quarterbacks of all time, come on somebody, and who, were, who won the world championship in 71, talked about his position a little bit and working under Coach Tom Landry, who is by far the greatest coach of all time. And he talked about how difficult it was because Coach Landry called every signal, sent it into the huddle, and Roger Starback only role was to do what the coach said. And he talked about how difficult it was to not be able to call the plays like all the other quarterbacks in the league. To be worth millions of dollars and paid millions of dollars to perform, but have to listen to this old man on the sideline who's not even in the game. Although he honored his wisdom and his brilliance when it comes to football, he still struggled with the fact that he, a grown man, had to obey every play call coming in as if he was a high schooler. And he admitted this in an interview one time, and he said it like this. He said, I finally faced up to the issue of obedience. Once I learned to obey, there was harmony, fulfillment, and victory. Once I learned to obey, we had unity on the team. Once I learned to obey, I wasn't in conflict with the coach. Come on, somebody. Once I learned to obey, we won the championship. Once I learned to obey and just say, hey, you got it. I'll do the play. I'll run it if you say run it. I'll throw it if you say throw it. Once I learned to obey, victory was ours. And I'm considered a great quarterback because we were a great team and I worked under a great coach. Frank, can I tell you something? If you're struggling and you're frustrated, it might be because you're in disobedience. If you're having difficulties with anger, you just can't get past it, you're an angry individual, it might be because you're disobedient in an area. If you're struggling with passion and real love for God, you might be being disobedient. If you are purposeless and can't figure out which way is you should be living your life, it's probably because you've been disobedient. And friend, can I just say this to you? If you feel like you're losing in life and you're not winning at all, it might be because... You're disobedient. I understand obedience is hard. It's super hard for me. That whole if then, I mean, it's, it's just a difficult place. But I want you to understand something. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, then I will hear from heaven and I will fix it. I will heal the land. If you will take your words, my words, into your heart and apply them, bend your will to comply with them. Then I will prosper you. You will have the knowledge of God flowing through you. You will go forward. You won't fall in this. If you take the word of God and you obey it, friend, we will find the favor and the blessings of our Father. You know the same thing with your own children. Listen, if you'll just listen to me, buddy. I I don't know if you've ever seen that two-year-old just banging their head against the wall because they're frustrated because they won't listen. If you'll just Listen, if you'll just do what I'm telling you to do, I only want what's best for you. And that's what the Father says. Even if you don't agree with it, even when that two-year-old, that three-year-old doesn't agree with it, if they will just listen. I have found myself many a time in total disagreement with what God was asking me to do in his word. And because I walked in obedience, I found the beauty of breakthrough. And then there are those times I said, nope. And I continue to struggle with the misery of the difficulty of that situation. Can I tell you something? You need to decide who's your master. 
You need to decide, will you walk in obedience? Because if you obey, then you experience all that God has for you. And I want to give you a couple thoughts. I know if you're like me, you say, well, how do I start this whole obedience thing in life with the Lord? How do I get, get my obedience kind of going? Let me give you a couple thoughts. Number one, resolve that you love Jesus more than anything else. Just resolve it. You love Jesus more than anything else, and just settle it in your heart. Just settle it in your heart. A friend of mine was talking to me uh, yesterday. He's a member of a church, amazing man of God. And he had come from a really big church, a real successful church somewhere else. And, and by way of, you know, profession and stuff, he moved back here. And uh, he started coming to our church. And he was just telling me, and he said, it was okay if I share a story. He just started telling me that, you know, just as he got involved, you know, and, he, and, and we were a growing church. And he'd just come from this big, big name church. And he could show, you know, he'd see some of the things that we needed to work on and get better at and so forth and so on. And, and he said, you know, and then, and then, you know, he started really uh, struggling to be obedient to the things of the Lord. And he said, before you know it, he found himself in a deep dark place last summer and he said he and he said he made this he, he said he, he was so frustrated and he was so suicidal that he stood up that morning and he said okay today either I'm going to blow my head off I'm going to submit to God because he said he, I was struggling with obedience with the Lord he said and thanks be to God I said Lord my life's not mine it's yours and he surrendered himself to the living God in a way that he hadn't done and a way that he had become arrogant against because he knew so many things because he had, you know, he'd been, he'd, been, he'd been a pastor and a leader and he just, and so as a result, and then he came and met with our small group pastor, Pastor Ryan Wood, and uh, they started interacting. And he told me this, he told me this. He said, Pastor Ryan asked him, he said, Where, who's your pastor? And what church is your church? Who's your people? And he said, what do you mean? He goes, well, we don't feel like it's us because you won't listen to us. We don't feel like we're your pastors. We can't tell you anything. He said, in that moment, Pastor Ryan asked me, will you make this your church? Will you make us your people? Will you put roots in here? And he said, he stood at another decision. And he said, yes, I will. And he said, Pastor Ryan, the moment I did that, something broke. He said, something happened in our small group. All of a sudden, man, people started getting delivered. All of a sudden, we started having this group that was unbelievable. We're weeping and crying and God's moving. The moment that he settled who the master was of his life. The moment he settled into a tribe and said, you know what, y'all might not be the best and there's some ugly ones amongst you and some good looking ones amongst you. I'm going to make this my job. The moment he settled into that where iron can sharpen iron, where he could have a pastor and a group of leaders in his life that could oversee the development of his life. Once he settled into that and made that happen, he said, when that happened, it all began to flourish. Why? Because you have to settle the question if you're going to walk in obedience, is Jesus your Lord or is he not? And once you've done that and you've settled that question, say, you know what? Jesus, you are the love of my life, and I love you more than anything else. And I like it like this. I, I, like, I love this statement right here. Matthew Henry said it like this. Love is the root, and obedience is the fruit. See, I, I don't obey. I don't obey him so that he'll love me. I love him, therefore I obey him. That's where the script gets flipped and you end up with dead religion. See, I love him. And I say it like this all the time. I love my wife. I love her with all my heart. I take out the trash. I don't go have sex with other women. I don't lie to her. I don't cheat. I don't steal things. I don't miss her. I don't hit on her. I don't abuse her verbally or any other way, emotionally, anything like that. Why do I not do that? Because I love her. I love her. I love her. And so as a result, I take out the trash. As a result, I'm faithful to our marriage. I don't do those things so that she'll love me. And I do those things because I love her. That's the fruit of my love. 
See, obedience, if you say you love the Lord, then obedience is the fruit of that love. You just can't help but obey him because you love him. Here's a second piece that I would teach you on how to build obedience in your life, and that is number two, consume his word until it changes your nature. Consume his word until it changes your nature. You say, oh man, I just don't feel like it's working. Just keep eating. I just kept eating that health food. Come on, somebody. I just kept eating it. Come on, I don't know about you, but there are days I read the word, I'm like, whatever. Okay. Especially when you get in some of those Old Testament books like the book of Numbers or Leviticus. Or when I find myself in Revelation, like, I don't know what they're talking about. That sounds like a bad meth trip right there. I'm just telling you, I'm not sure. I mean, and you just keep, you just keep consuming and consuming and consuming until one day you look up and all of a sudden you look a lot more like Jesus than you ever thought you were. You keep consuming that word and it keeps changing you. And the last and final thing that I would teach you, and that is this. This is what I do. Repent a lot. Repent a lot. I'm always repenting, Leah, God, I don't got that right. Oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. Oh, Lord, please help me with, oh, I'm such an idiot. Oh, God, I need you. I'm constantly repenting. Because doesn't the Bible say that he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble? Isn't that what he says? I mean, you think about like that. Listen, my, my middle child is brilliant. My middle child is the smartest person on the planet. Let me explain to you why. Because my middle child is very eclectic. Um... I'll give you an example. I'll come home. We've been working. Come home. And she has gotten home from school, and she's decided that she's going to make glue with flour. And so you walk in the kitchen, and there is flour everywhere. The place is destroyed. And my first reaction is, who, who destroyed the kitchen after me and mom was cleaning it last night after y'all went to bed? And all of a sudden, I hear her come running down the stairs, and she comes running in the room, and her first response is, oh. I'm so sorry. I'm so, Dad, it was me. I'm so sorry. Would you please have mercy on me, oh master, would you please? She's brilliant. Because I'm like, well, okay, just don't do it again. Come on, let's clean. Okay, and she starts cleaning it up. I'm so sorry. I just, I'm so sorry. I'm just a terrible child. No, you're not a terrible child. Before I know it, I'm encouraging her. She's the one that made the mess. I'm, I'm doing her work. I'll do it for you, baby. You go back and study. She's like. See, brilliant. See, he's brilliant. And we've had to work in Cohen, I'll tell you this. We had to work in Cohen. His first response, I ain't do it. It wasn't my fault. See, there he is. It ain't my fault. It's a baby girl. You know she messed it up. And, she, and when I fuss at her, she just cries like, Dad, I'm a worthless friend. No, you're not. But Mariah is so smart. I'm so sorry. Would you please, oh, master, would you extend grace to me? And you just can't help but extend grace, right? That's exactly what your heavenly father's like. Listen, you acting like you got it all together, shame on you. You keep looking, you're not looking in the right mirror, that's what you're not looking at. Because there's not one of us in here without sin. There's not one of us in here that have made it to perfection. There's not one of us that are in full obedience to the word of God. Come on now, you better just go ahead and get free from that. And you and I, every day, need to wake up and look into the word of God, look into that mirror and go, oh, that's something i got to walk in obedience in. And when you realize, oh, I've been rebellious, I didn't do that, oh, I just don't want to love them. I want to punch them in the face. I find myself, Lord, I repent. I repent. Oh, God. I pray for them, and I guess they're now in the enemy category. They were a friend. And you just, it's a very difficult process, but let me tell you what you do. You repent 
a whole lot. Are you there? Say yes. Come on, stand with me all across the room. I hope this has blessed you today as much as you have blessed me. I believe the favor of God is resting upon this, our beautiful church, you, the amazing people that you are. And I know that I know that I know. Let me tell you a secret as a pastor. I know that if you'll get yourself a mirror, i.e. the word of God, I know that if you'll look at it every day, you'll start correcting things. You'll start fixing things. I know that if you'll do that, you won't need Christian therapy. We won't have to beg you to keep your marriage together. You won't be tempted by the things of this world. I know that I know that I know, friend, if you'll just get into his word, I know that you're good people. He knows that you're good people. You're his sons and daughters. But friend, I'll tell you something. We've got to bend, yield our will to his word. Not to Pastor Adam's word. Not to Bishop so-and-so's word. To his word. What does his word say about it? And I want you to understand something. As you begin to yield and bend, the if will become the then. The difficulty in bending your will, but walking in obedience to the best of your ability, will become the favor and the blessings. I know that sounds TV preachy, and I'm sorry, but it is the truth of God's word. If my people will humble themselves, if they'll pray and seek my face, I will hear from heaven, I'll heal their land. If, if you obey my teachings, Jesus said, in your mind, have all the benefits of sonship and I have to tell people all the time hey I'm sorry you're trying to appropriate this this favor passage over your life but I'm sorry you can't take and apply a then when you haven't been obedient in an if you can't live in adultery and be frustrated because you don't feel blessed you you, you can't because what you've done is you're a disobedient child who he loves dearly but who he's disciplining because he loves you so much the favor the blessings friend let me tell you they're so much easier to have active in your life when we walk in obedience I want you to bow your heads with me across the room I don't know if this message has challenged you like it's challenged me but I know that your God loves you and as you stand here what, what expectation out of God's word have you struggled the most to be obedient with? Loving a neighbor? Forgiving those who've done you dirty? Fleeing youthful lust? What, what, which of his teachings, which of his nature and characteristics have you really struggled to be obedient in? Would you just take a moment wherever you're at would you just tell him that under your breath right where you would you just do point number three and repent and just say lord i'm so sorry i'm so sorry i've treated your daughter my wife as though she was an idiot lord i'm so sorry i'm so sorry lord god i've lived for money instead of living for you please forgive me friend let me just tell you today as you take a moment right here god will respond just like I respond when mine say dad I'm sorry he wants to respond to you today with every head bowed and every eye closed you just take a moment father I pray for every congregation member every man and woman who loves you with all of their heart and are doing their best to serve you Lord God may the 
the light of the word shine deep into our soul. Lord God, may we come to the place, Lord God, where we, where we admit, Lord, we need your help, Lord God. I, I, Lord, I, I start, Lord God, as the pastor of this church. Lord, I'm, I struggle, oh God, to be the servant of all. Lord, I need your help, Lord God. I know I'm not doing that well, Lord God. I repent. Lord, I struggle, oh God, to forgive those who do me dirty, Lord God. I just, Lord, I just want you to help me. Lord, I recognize, Lord God, that I don't line up with that mirror that well. Lord, I, I recognize that the word of God is, is so sharp and clean and clear, Lord God. And I want to be the man, the man that you want me to be, Lord God. And I just pray that you would help me through this, oh God. I, I pray that your word, as I consume it, will continue to transform me into your image, oh God. Lord, I pray right now, Lord God, that you would know that you know that you know. And I redefine that in front of everybody today. Jesus, you are my Lord. You are the master of Adam McCain's life. And I surrender every piece of who I am to you. Father, I thank you so much, Lord, as your congregation have said the same types of prayers to you. May you hear them and respond to them. That with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're away from God, like you say, Pastor, I don't, I'm not a Christian. Like, I don't think if I died today, I would go to heaven. Hey, can I just share some really good news with you? He's not mad at you. And can I share some good news to you about you? You're not too far off. You came to church today. You wanted to be with God. You said, well, uh, so-and-so dragged me. Oh, you didn't do anything against your own will. Come on. There's something in your heart that wants God again. Maybe you say, Pastor, I used to serve the Lord, but I fell away. And I just got, your know, life happened. I'm, kind, I'm really embarrassed about it. I'm kind of shamed, shamed about it. Friend, I got good news to you. His whole brand the brand of Jesus is his arm stretched out wide, nailed to a cross. That's his brand. In other words, he's always invite, inviting. He's always welcoming. There's no sin that he can't forgive. There's no, no mountain he won't climb for you. And today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're not a Christian, never been one, I'd like to pray with you. You say, Pastor Adam, I used to be a Christian, but I've walked away. I'd, I'd like to pray with you as well. You say, well, what, what, do you, what do I have to do? Well, here's the beauty. Jesus did it all. He already paid for it all on the cross. He paid it forward. Every sin you'll ever commit, every wicked thing you've ever done. He said, well, then what's my, what's my response? Well, your response is real simple. The Bible says it like this. If you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the Christ, if you'll make him the master of your life, he will cleanse you and forgive you from all unrighteousness. He said, well, do I have to give money to the church? No, no, none of that is contingent. None of that is even a factor. This is about you and him. It would be, here in just a moment, I'm going to lead you in a prayer, a prayer of repentance. It'd be like if I was at a party and I knew you and I knew my best friend Jesus and I brought you over and introduced you. That's what's about to happen. So today, if you're away from God, you've never been a Christian or you walked away and you want to come home, I want to pray with you. With no one looking around, no one's looking, just me and you, would you just lift your hand if that's you and say, Pastor, pray for me. It's time. I'm ready to be a Christian. God bless you. Thank you for your honesty. Anybody else? Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Give you a couple of seconds. Thank you, sir. You can put it back down. I see your hand. Anybody else? Thank you. God bless you. Amen. Amen. About two more seconds. Anyone else? Pray for me, Pastor. It's time. I'm ready to make a change. I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to humiliate you. This is personal, you and God. But I am going to lead you. Amen. All hands are down. Now, I want to lead you in that prayer of repentance. In fact, I'm going to get everyone in the audience, if you pray out loud with my friends who are giving themselves to Jesus, who are making him their master, if you'll pray with me right now, I believe firmly, as the scripture says, he will cleanse you and forgive you of all unrighteousness. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, today... I surrender my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. I'm ashamed of what I've become, of how I've been living. And I ask you now, wash away the shame. Be the Lord of my life. I declare in front of everybody, in front of all of heaven, Jesus is my Lord. I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. 
I ask you to write my name in your book of life. And I promise to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Would you keep your head bowed for a moment, Father? I pray right now for every man and woman who lifted their hand, even those who just didn't quite have the courage to lift their hand, but in their heart said that, said that prayer and wanted you to be the master, the Lord of their life. Lord, I pray right now they would feel your peace. Lord God, that they don't have to perform. They don't have to be good people. Lord God, that you're going to transform them because you are now living and abiding in them. Your Holy Spirit living in their heart. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name that the lies of the enemy, the old school temptations, they won't have any power. They won't have any, 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 any temptation over them, Lord God. And from this point forward, the love of Christ will win out in their hearts. We thank you for your grace in Jesus' name. Would you grab hands of that person next to you for just a moment? I just want to close out. Before I hand it over to Pastor Jonathan to close us out. I want you to pray for the people on either side of you that they would, that they would fall in love with the word. It's my last ditch effort. We're going to move into a different series, different teachings the rest of the year. But I'm convinced, even if, even if it doesn't taste well to you at first, if you'll just keep chewing, that eventually this word, that his holy scriptures will do everything that I taught you these last few weeks it would do. So I want you to just take a moment and pray for the brother and sister on either side of you. Father, I pray for every one of us here in this congregation, Lord God, Lord, that we'd fall in love with your word. That, Lord God, we wouldn't be spiritually inept. That, Lord, we wouldn't be spiritually anorexic. That, Lord God, we wouldn't have to have a preacher tell us what your word says. That the preacher just simply, Lord God, encourages what we already know is true. That, Lord God, we won't have to have, Lord God, uh, someone else appropriate your word. That we can appropriate it for ourselves. That we can apply it to the situations in our family, to the situations in our marriage, to the situations in our jobs and where we live, our neighborhood. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name that there would not be a lick of fear. That the word of God would come alive come alive to these your servants in Jesus name that Father that they Lord God will become exactly Lord God what you intend them to become and when they look into the mirror of the word they'll see deeply Lord God how much you're changing them how much Lord God they're becoming more like you they'll start looking like you acting like you talking like you smelling like you spitting like you Lord God that each and every one of us Lord God that in a year from now that our friends and family who hadn't seen us in 12 months will say man what has happened to you it's almost like I'm looking into the eyes of Jesus himself Father, I thank you that we can be entrusted with your word, that you didn't that you didn't write it on tablets of stone, but you wrote it on our heart, and that, Lord God, your life and your liberty dwells in us greatly, and we bless every one of our people in Jesus' name. And everybody shout it, amen and amen.